uh, and then we'll look at this bit of 1 Corinthians together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is good and it is true and it is powerful. Thank you that we have it here in front of us, that we can read it and spend time um, coming to understand it. Father, we pray that uh, as we look at this bit bit of 1 Corinthians, you would speak to us through your word in the power of your spirit. Please would you show us more of who you are, more of what you've done and more of what it looks like to live for you today. Um, Please strengthen us to serve you in this coming week. Amen. Um, Now, I wonder uh, if you ever think, or maybe even question, has God got it wrong? Has God got it wrong in in trying to grow his church? The tactics that he's using, um, his way of trying to grow his church, is he wrong? does it make sense? I don't know. Have you ever wondered that? Like maybe in a, a conversation with a neighbour or a friend or a colleague or whoever, and you're trying to share your faith. And you're like, I don't know the answer to their questions. Why is God trying to use me in doing this? He's got that wrong, surely. Or even maybe looking at Christchurch Earlsfield. We're a bit smaller this morning, aren't we? Uh, but... You look at CCN and there's life and there's growth, but there's not a massive impact in this area. So I'm not being critical. But there's not, is there? There's not a massive impact. Things aren't huge. Like God's the one with all the power and the strength. Is he getting things wrong trying to use Crusher Chillsfield to grow his kingdom? Has he made a mistake in how he's trying to do things? And even maybe, um, I don't know, sometimes you, you might try and explain the gospel to someone and it goes really well. It's really clear. You, you clearly state who Jesus is and what he's done. A friend or whoever. But they don't want to know. They just turn away. They walk away from the best news in the history of everything. We know that that's true, isn't it? That the, the gospel is the best news. Jesus Christ came as God made man. He lived a beautiful, sinless, perfect life on this earth. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He now reigns over creation. For us as Christians today, there is hope and life and joy knowing Jesus. It is the best news ever. And he is gathering a church. He's growing a kingdom. He's bringing people to know him. But at the same time, sometimes it feels hard. I'm trying to tell people about Jesus, but I am weak and foolish and rubbish. I try and tell people the gospel, but sometimes they just don't even understand what I'm saying. They don't even want to know. Why can't the Christian message be more persuasive? You may be wondering that uh, if you're someone who's visiting today and maybe thinking things through about Christianity... Like, I believe it if it was obvious, obviously. But from what I've seen, what I've heard, I don't see why I should. It hasn't done enough to maybe win me over, to impress me, to convince me. If it's right, why can't it be more persuasive? And as Christians, we wonder that too. Why does it actually feel hard to tell people the good news of Jesus when it's the best news ever? Why does it not have bigger results? Why do I feel rubbish when I try and share my faith? 
Uh, well, this passage, it answers the question why. And it is a positive answer, <laughs> I think. Uh, why hasn't God made the church, his teaching, his gospel more impressive, more attractive? Why does it not have bigger results? Why does God use weak and foolish sounding people like you and me? Simple, really. It's for his glory and it's for our good. It's so that we know him better and so that he gets all the praise. It's so that we boast only in him. So that our faith, faith rests not on us, but on him. Yeah, so that he gets the glory. Um, and we're going to go through, we're going to see this in three points uh, on the service sheet there. Very simple. Pretty much the same point each one, actually. Foolish gospel, foolish people, foolish preacher. Why do these things appear foolish? So that God gets the glory. Uh, first, the gospel is foolish in the world's eyes. Look uh, down with me. Um, verse 18, Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know when you try to tell someone the gospel and you feel like you've done a good job. You, I don't know, you've had an opportunity and you've taken it for a change. And somebody's listened and they've asked questions and you've explained it clearly. You've explained who Jesus is and what he's done. But then they don't want to know. You know that? It's gutting as a Christian, isn't it? You're sharing with them your heart and soul. This verse is helpful, isn't it? It's foolishness to them. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It may not make it easier when it's someone we love. But it's good to know, I don't know, we can just do our best. Because it's God who saves why has God set it up like that? Well, um, do you remember what Corinth, the city, is like? You've you started this series in Corinthians, haven't you? Corinth was a, a prosperous, large uh, city. The, the biggest city in Greece at the time. It was an exciting city. It was the finance capital. It was the entertainment capital. It was the hedonism capital. And it was a place where well, what people thought of each other, how much value they had, it was all based on how impressive they were, how intelligent they sounded, how big a following they had. Basically London today. That's what Corinth is. And so verse 19, Paul writes, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the, in of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You see, the gospel shows how wrong the world is. And then verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Paul's point here is that the world is so counter to what the world believes. The gospel makes a mockery of the world's ideals. So what's the world after? What are our friends and neighbours after? Better jobs, bigger houses, more money, greater success. They're the heroes of our time, aren't they? Um, people that we follow, they're, they're praised 
are celebrities because of their following, because of their earnings, because of their success in whatever field they're in. But the gospel tells us salvation doesn't come from impressive achievements or from knowing the right people or even from understanding complicated things like about God or theology or whatever. Simply, it's believing in the life and death of Jesus Christ. And so verse 22, Jews make demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we, that's Paul, the other apostles, Christians today, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. The gospel, the death of Jesus Christ on a cross in place of any who trust in him, sounded foolish in the city of Corinth. Why follow a man who just died a criminal's death? The gospel sounds foolish today. Why follow a man who lived 2,000 years ago in poverty and died a criminal's death? Because, verse 24, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The death of Jesus is salvation for any who believe in him. Any who, it says here, have been called by God. And for those of us here trusting in Jesus, we know to know this. The gospel sounds foolish to the world. The gospel is foolish in the world's eyes. So when our friends, our family, our colleagues, our course mates, our neighbours think we're foolish for following Jesus, well, that's to be expected, really. But it doesn't mean it's foolish. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The gospel is real and true. And when we feel little and weak and rubbish at telling our mates about Jesus... And we don't, I don't know, maybe we don't want to bother even more. It's too hard. Just want to give up. Well, we need to know salvation isn't down to us, to our arguments, to our clever explanations or whatever. Whatever we say is going to sound foolish. That's the reality. Unless God acts, it's down to God. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So keep going at it. The gospel may sound foolish to our world, but it's salvation for those who believe. Keep telling people about Jesus and pray. Ask our God to act. So we have a foolish gospel. Secondly, uh, Paul describes us as foolish people. So verse 26. uh, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. And the danger for this little church 2,000 years ago in Corinth, the temptation for them was that they were going to be squeezed into the mould of the culture, of the world around, rather being shaped by their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so they were seeking to be impressive in worldly terms, in the eyes of the world. They were thinking, do you know what, to grow our church, we need to be impressive. Uh, So that the world thinks and looks at us and, and, and goes, do you know what, they're great, I want to be like them. I'm going to join their church, and and so their church will grow. That's how they were hoping to have an impact. That's even how they were hoping to bring people to know Jesus. Paul's point is they're not impressive. Nothing special. So so look with me, look down. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. Uh, no, it's not none of you, but not many of you were wise or influential, noble birth. So you can be a, a duchess or have a PhD. That's okay, and you can still be a Christian. That might be helpful for some of us here today. Might be a relief. But Paul's point is clear. You know, having a lofty status in the eyes of the world, it wasn't common in the Corinthian church. And that is what God had chosen them to be like. Um, and I look around Christchurch Old Hill this morning. How do I say this without being rude? Uh, you're not impressive, guys. <laughs> Some of you I don't know, so I can't say. But those I know, like you're fantastic and I love you, but you're not impressive. Like there's some worldly success here, some worldly prestige, impressive educations and jobs and family and that. Some of that in this room. But there's not a huge amount. Like we're nothing special, right? You compare us to the impressive of our city, nothing special at all. Cash, power, influence, education, breeding. Compare to us, compare us, sorry, to the, those who inhabit the newspapers, you know, the politicians, the intellectuals, the business people, the celebrities, the sports stars. Well, we're insignificant in comparison. And compare our church, you, compare my church at St. Andrews with the institutions of London. Well, we're small in number, small in impact, small in coverage, really. Why did God choose to do it this way then? Why pick us and not people with more weight? Why aren't uh, celebrities, intellectuals, billionaires sat in these beautiful plastic blue chairs this morning? Why? Verse 27, look with me. God chose the foolish things of the world, that's you and me, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world, you and me, to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, you and me still, and the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. God chose us. God chose us. God chose us. Why? To shame the wise, the strong, the impressive. Why work this way? Why is he doing that? Verse 29, read with me. So that no one may boast before him. Verse 30, it is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why bring weak, unimpressive people into his church? Why you and me? To show his strength, his authority, his saving power. So that we'd know it's nothing to do with us. And so that it'd be clear to the whole world that God doesn't save people because they've done something worth saving. But purely out of his grace. So that uh, when Jesus returns in awesome power of judge of the universe, as we sung of just now, no one can point to their life, however impressive, and say... I deserve to be saved. I deserve to be in. Because our value as Christians, we know, don't we, is not ultimately found in who we are, but in whose we are. 
It's massive. We need to know this. This is how God will use us. This is how we can have an impact. As a church, Christchurch Earlfield, this is what you need to remember as you reach out with the good news of Jesus in this local area. Don't try and be something you're not. That's what the Corinthians were thinking. They were falling into the trap of trying to impress the people around them, impress them into being saved, impress them into listening to the gospel. But rather, we need to, you need to be a place, a people, where you're honest about your weaknesses, your failures, your brokenness, your struggles. So that then you can point people to Jesus Christ by showing them there is salvation for the broken and the weak and the struggling, which actually is everybody, no matter their social media following or the size of their bank balance. Be honest about weakness and therefore boast in Jesus. Show people him. See, it's a gospel that saves. Foolish gospel, foolish church, and then Paul basically makes the same point again. Foolish preacher. Um, Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Eloquence, human wisdom, that's what the city of Corinth wanted. That's what they lusted after. That was their entertainment. So they didn't have auditoriums full of pop groups or comedians. It was full of people debating. And the people were praised who were the eloquent ones, who could win the arguments. That's what they prized most of all. And that's the very thing Paul's proclamation of the gospel about God didn't come with. I think we can fall into the trap of not being like Paul. Uh, I remember when, um, so I used to be at Dundonald Church, where CC was partly planted out of years ago. And I remember um, we had a big mission week. Uh, It was my birthday. So perfect for inviting your friends. Guilt trip, right? (laughs) I invite my mates to come. Um, Maybe don't guilt trip people, that's not what I'm saying. It worked though. Uh, Rico Tice, brilliant evangelist, you know, Christian Explored course, uh, he was preaching. Uh, London Community Gospel Choir was there and then a gospel talk from Rico. And part of me was thinking, yes, I can get my mates to hear Rico and then they'll become Christians, you know. And you know what, they came, so my boys who I lived with, a couple of other guys, they enjoyed it. Um, and even, even conversation afterwards, one of them, one of my best mates was like, yeah, I think the best bit was the talk. Really enjoyed it, really enjoyed his argument and hearing what he was saying. But you know what? That was as far as it went. Salvation doesn't come from eloquence or worldly wisdom. Um, I got baptised about a year later. Uh, Richard Cokin, head of commission dude, he, he preached at my baptism. Um, and I got my mates there again, because <laughs> a similar tactic. Uh, and of them, one was horrified by the gospel. Um, the rest, nonplussed. They just walked away. Didn't want to hear again. Same guys, they've heard Rich, uh, Rico Tice, they've heard Richard Cokin preach clearly. And in my head, part of me thinking, that's going to win. That will save them. 
we fall into this trap, I think. I do anyway, thinking these things will save people. Hearing the right people. They won't. Now, I'm not saying don't get your mates to hear people explain the gospel clearly. But it's not going to save them on its own, is it? We need to resolve, like Paul, verse 2, to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, if we're resting our witness on getting my mates to hear the big speakers, then we've got something wrong. That's what Paul's saying. Because Paul, what did he resolve to speak? What did his life live out? The gospel and only the gospel. It wasn't just a, a one-off event that he, I hope I'll bring my mates to. It's a life lived out, isn't it? And you know what, if you read the history of the Corinthian church, I don't know if you've done this, but Acts 18, you're working through Acts in Bible study groups, aren't you? So you'll get there. Um, it comes right after his time in Athens. And the Apostle Paul was in Athens, preached the gospel clearly in an auditorium like Corinth, uh, in front of loads of people. And he was literally laughed out of the city. He's hounded out, laughed out, ridiculed. And he turns up in Corinth alone, probably disappointed. Uh, there hadn't been much fruit in Athens. Tired, discouraged. And that's why he says, look at verse 3, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Like he rocked up knowing he was weak. That's not how I do it. After Athens, gutted and disappointed, but if I was going to try and share the gospel again, well, I'd gather myself, maybe have a holiday, probably go home, like relax, recharge, maybe then go to Corinth if I can summon up enough strength. Once there in Corinth, maybe get to know people, get to know where they're coming from, who they are, become their friends, and then share my faith. Maybe invite them to a big gig. <laughs> Rico Tice or whoever. I think that's what I do because that is how I often try and share the gospel with people. This passage is a rebuke, a bit of a correction for me. And for any of us who might think like that. Because when I try and tell people the gospel, when I sort of set my base, make sure everything's good with me and then explain my faith. Do you know what? It just doesn't look real, does it? It doesn't look like it's having any sort of impact on us. It looks like the words are mine rather than God's. Weakness. That's what Paul is saying. We need to be willing to be weak. Weak in front of others. We have to fight the urge. Ask God to help us fight the urge to, to look like the world around us. To make ourselves look okay at the times when we're not. Because that is what everyone else around us is doing all the time, isn't it? So at St Andrews, um, we are in one of the wealthiest bits of London. Like massive houses, millions and millions of pounds. And it's just big doors that you can't get in. You can't get to know people. So all you see is, well, they're wealthy, so they're fine. But those few that we've got to know, the millionaires... Actually, so rarely are they, or would they even, when they're honest, describe themselves as fine? We know that's a reality, don't we? 
for the millionaires and for those who live on the council estates. It's the same for everyone. Our world is broken up and the people of our world are broken. But if we as a church look like we're not, how incongruous, how how wrong is that? Because we are the ones who've got the answer to that brokenness in Christ. We need to be willing to be weak. Look at Paul's example. Look at verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. This is the Holy Spirit at work in Paul, enabling him to share the gospel, even when it was really hard. The Spirit at work in his hearers as they heard the message of the gospel from Paul and he, the Holy Spirit, showed them Christ and caused them to trust in him. The Spirit at work through weakness. And this was all so that, again, verse 5, look, their faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. It's clear, again, isn't it? Foolish gospel, foolish people, foolish preacher. Why? So that it rests not on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't yet consider yourself a Christian, I can say this, I don't know most people, or a lot of people here. If that's you, forgive me, but is it because you're too proud? Is it a pride thing? Because to be a Christian is humbling. There's no path to Jesus, no path to salvation that doesn't involve humbling yourself before our creator God. Recognising the failure of our human wisdom, the failure of our lives and our brokenness and our need to come to him and say, God, I'm wrong. You don't owe it to me to be saved or to answer my questions. Like, I need to fall on my knees before you. I need to answer your questions, God. To become a Christian is a humbling thing. But when we do humble ourselves, there is acceptance. There's our salvation and there's Jesus Christ. And I know so many here can attest to that. Are you too proud this morning? Do you need to humble yourself before the Lord Jesus? Maybe you want to do that. Maybe come and speak to me or James afterwards, if that's true. We'd love to pray with you. Those of us here who are seeking to serve Jesus and live for him. Can I urge you, this week onwards, speak of Christ. Know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Know your weakness today. We all know we're weak in different ways. Don't try and hide it. Know your brokenness. Be honest about it. And then share the gospel by drawing alongside those who are around you, walking together towards the mercy and the grace that there is in Jesus Christ. You see, we need to, we need to ask God, our Father, that he would fill our minds with the glory of Jesus' death in our place. And so love others, knowing our weakness today. In your weakness, you know when you, when you feel weak when trying to share your faith with others. Tell them about who Jesus is, what he has done and the impact on your life. Do you know, sometimes I just don't know what to say. 
I work for a church. Most of the time, I just don't know what to say. So I, don't, I don't know how you find it. Sometimes I feel like I just don't have the words, the, the intellect, the Bible knowledge, the theological training. Do you ever feel like that? Well, this passage shows us the beauty of it is we don't need any of that, do we? Paul came in weakness, trembling with a simple gospel of Jesus. And that's enough. Because that's as much as we can do. God will do the rest. More questions will come, I'm sure. But the reality is we don't need anything else than Christ crucified. And if you're worried you might lose an argument with someone, discussion, that's okay. Because God's not interested in trumping every argument or knowing, or you knowing every answer. He just wants you to tell them the message of the cross. And maybe, in God's mercy, there will be this category of people who think that this message is for them. Because God has chosen people. We see that here. I mean, our friends, they may be those who think the message is stupid and weak and turn away. But maybe God will have mercy. Maybe God will have chosen them. There'll be those who are called and whom the gospel is the power and the wisdom of God today. Out of our weakness, share the message of the cross because it's powerful to save. So why does God use weak, foolish-sounding people like you and me today? Why does God use a weak church, maybe, like yours or mine today? Not that God has got it wrong. It's so that we have nothing to boast of before him. So that our faith rests solely on him. Not on our own efforts. And so that we know him better. So that he gets all the glory. He's the one with all the power. He's the one who's able to save. He is the God who rescues people today. Shall I pray? I'll hand over to James. Father, thank you that you are the God who saves today. And Father, thank you that even though your gospel does seem foolish, sound foolish to the watching world, uh, we know it is uh, your means of salvation for a broken world. Father, pray that you would uh, give us courage to speak of Jesus today, this week. Father, pray that you would um, help us to serve you in weakness, in trembling like the Apostle Paul did. And Father, as we draw alongside people in our weakness, uh, in their weakness, please would we show them Jesus that they might turn and find the hope and the salvation that there is in him. Father, thank you for the beauty of the gospel today. And please would you use us in the power of your spirit to speak the truth of Christ and so save people. Amen.